If you're new and you have children, they can go back if you want them to go back there. If you want to keep them, you can keep them. But before we um, go any farther, you guys want to come on up? We're going to pray in uh, Bruce and Lori and Kylie. They have uh, been with us for a minute, but they've decided we're not all that bad. And and uh, they want to join the church here. So we're going to lay hands on them and just receive them. So if you've, if you've done that and you, you're a part of the body, just come on up here and lay hands on them and just receive them in. And, and um, such special people. And I uh, recommend you get to know them. And uh, I recommend that you go over to their house for dinner because she's an amazing cook. So uh, <laughs> great, great family of the Lord. And we're thankful that God has um, brought them to us. And we're thankful that, um, that uh, what God's going to do in and through them with the future. So, Lord, we receive your people. We receive your grace. We receive uh, this beautiful family uh, into uh, the work that you've called us to do for this area that's unique. Though we are all the family of God and we are all the children of God, Lord, there is a, a work that's got to be done, an establishment in different areas and different parts of the body. And we know that you call different people to uh, endorse and accent and, and lift up and encourage different strengths and parts of the body of Christ that we represent. And that, Father, we thank you that, that uh, where we go, they go, and, 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 and vice versa. And that, Father, the things that we possess are theirs and vice versa. That, Lord, that, that uh, the strengthening of the Lord would happen in their life. Uh, from us to them and them to us. We pray that they would be the head and not the tail. They would possess the gates of their enemies. That, Father, they would just walk richly with you and that as they grow in the Lord, that we can just gain from watching their life and uh, that they would bleed off Jesus to us and, and, the, and that that would be the same. And that, Lord, that you would speak to them concerning us and us concerning them and that, Father, that, uh, that your glory would be seen in their life. We thank you for them and we bless them and we love them in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Well, I guess we're going to do something. So I'm going to have to wing it this morning because I just deleted all my notes. Thank the Lord for that delete button. I thought I was deleting something else. So we're going to go ahead and talk about prayer concerning the will of God. Forgive me for all my uh, lack of addresses we're about not to have. So um, we've been talking about Ephesians chapter 6 in the sense of prayer finishing up, and I think that, you know, we might have another session, um, which I'll have to recreate, um, concerning hearing the Lord, because hearing the Lord is crucial to prayer. If we can't hear, then um, what we pray oftentimes gets jumbled up in the essence of our will being projected upon God. And many times, if we're not able to hear the will of the Lord, we're not able to pray efficiently and effectively, because we're praying our will instead of His. And then we blame Him right? Whenever it doesn't come to pass. And so I want to do a session on that. But this, this morning, I, I do want to touch on the will of God in prayer. But I also want to touch on some ideas um, that I feel like are very important to understanding how to approach God in prayer. 
Um, one, one thing I, I really want to start off with, hey guys, how are y'all? It's good to see you. I haven't seen you guys in a long time. Oh, it's awesome. Um, one thing I want, to, I want to talk about, our confidence in the Lord in the beginning of, of, of our prayer life, because how many of you guys have ever felt in your walk with God that your prayer life declines whenever you feel like you're not doing well with God? Has that ever happened to anybody? Maybe just me. So like when we find these personal failures in our life, we find our prayer life going down and we find our pursuit of God becoming less. Have you ever figured out why that is? Because we're more sin conscious than we are God conscious. The first result of human failure in an immature and unrenewed mind is to run to the shadows whenever failure is exploited in our life. Are you following what I'm saying? For a mature person in Christ, the first thing that they want to do is run to the Father when they fail, which means you're running to an essence of prayer every time you're being restored. To come to God after failure is to come, to come back to prayer. You cannot come back to God without an essence or a sense of praying. Repentance, in fact, is prayer. It's the changing of the heart and the acknowledging of the mouth and the mind to be able to move in such a way that we're now agreeing with God and it comes out of our life in the form of an apology and a repentance or something of an engagement with God. It is impossible to live the Christian life without praying. Yet it is the thing of the, the armor of God in Ephesians 6 that's attacked the most because we feel unqualified or we feel completely uh, moved aside from the ability to interact or encounter God because of our our actions. Are you with me? Did you find it? Hey. Hey, a good deal. So should I go wing it or should I go with this? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I want you to understand that encounters with God have to happen through prayer, but yet the encounters with God is what the enemy is trying to steal from our life. I want you to understand that in your mind is, is, a, is a weakness that has to be eradicated through mental discipline and, and, and mind renewal. How you think, how we think, determines how we respond to God. I'm going to say that again. How we think determines how we respond to God. Do you remember the parable of the talents where Jesus gives each person a specific thing to take care of? And then the end comes and he judges all three people by what they've done with what he's given them. Do you remember that story? He gave some uh, one guy, you know, Five and, and three and, and, and one, and, and, and forgive me if I'm off on my numbers there. And the guy that had the one talent, at the end of it all, Jesus looks at him and says, he says, here's your talent back. He gives it back to God. He says, I'm giving you what you gave me. And God rebukes the man. And here's what he says. He says, he says I knew you were a, wicked, wicked, or a hard servant. You were a hard master. I knew you were difficult to please. And in a sense, I was afraid of you and you were, you were this. He defined God to himself as being hard and difficult 
and a, a, a taskmaster. And what, is, what does God say back to this man? Out of your own mouth will I judge you. In other words, out of the idea of me that you've created, I will be. And if we create in our mind, in an unrenewed mindset, a God that can never be pleased, that is always micromanaging all of our sins and disassociating himself with us the moment we screw up, we will be judged as him acting that way unto ourselves. And so it becomes impossible to pray through failure because we have this idea in our brains of who he is and how displeased he is with us, frankly, and only because we're displeased with ourselves. And we project that upon him. And therefore, when we project that upon God, we believe it to be true. When our faith engages with our mind, it becomes an absolute law on the spirit. And then we don't wanna to come to God and pray because we feel unworthy of the God we're pursuing. And we feel in our heart and our mind that he must feel about us the way we feel about ourselves. Does that resonate with you at all? Three of you, four of you. Am I making sense? Yes. And this is why we, we refuse to pray in those moments and we run farther to darkness. This is why the lie becomes more believable than the truth. I've, I've heard so many people tell me over their lifespan of, 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 of ministering to different people that once they cross a certain line, it's almost like they, they quit and they give up. Why? Because the lie of the enemy says your father will not receive you back. You've already gone this far. You might as well go ahead and go all the way. And when they believe that, what happens? Their actions become empowered in that reality and they begin to pursue darkness, even though they don't want to. Prayer is the communication with your father that can never be disrupted unless you believe it to be so. Jesus created an open heavens. The only way that doesn't operate in our lives is if we do not believe that it's present for us. Unbelief is the only thing that can keep us from what God has done. It doesn't undo what God did. It just keeps us unavailable to it. Are you with me? Yes. That when Jesus, when Jesus was crucified, well, let me take it back. It's so awesome, our God. that Jesus spent his life in prayer before he ever showed himself in any public ministry. People wonder what he was doing for those 30 years. I'll tell you what he was doing. He was praying. It's the same thing he's doing now. He's praying. He's still praying. Jesus is the man of prayer. How do I know that? Because the Bible says he is the word and the word always speaks. And the word doesn't speak to create anymore because it's already created. He said it is good and it is finished. So what the word is speaking now is not a creative word, it's a restoring prayer. Who and what he's speaking right now over your life and over the people in your life, he's praying and interceding. The word is still speaking in prayer, which can be somewhat classified as a creative word, but it's not creating something new. It's trying to call into creation the thing that already is. And this is what Jesus is doing for us. So prayer is the agreement with what God has already attended, intended. Prayer is not the propulsion of your will into the face of God demanding him to do what you see fit in the life that you've chose to live. 
Prayer is the agreement with the will of God. It's finding the will of God and praying that in. Because within the will of God is the victory of your life. Outside of the will of God, you'll never survive. You've got to know the will of God for your life. Paul even prays. He prays for the Colossian people. He says, I pray that you would know the will of God for your life. Why? Because within the will of God is your opportunity to pray. Knowing that will gives you an an assignment of prayer that you can be confident in. Why? Because when you're praying something you know God intends, you have no unbelief to add to that prayer. You know it will come to pass because it is the will of the Lord. So many people pray and they're uncertain about whether it's going to happen or not because they're not confident in the will of God for their life and they're not confident in the walk they have before God Almighty. Most, Most Christian people are concerning their own life consumed with their failures and their shortcomings more so than they are with the prayers and intercessions of Christ over their life. If you would believe the prayers that Jesus is praying over you more than your failure, you would begin to grow in ways you've never seen. So I want you to understand that prayer is probably the most important part of the armor of God. For those of you who are new, we've been going verse by verse through Ephesians. We're finishing up in the next couple of weeks, maybe. And Paul basically closes the letter with the armor and he ends with praying always. And much past that, he's just greeting people, greetings to so-and-so, greetings to so-and-so, and he closes the letter because he ends the gospel that he creates as a masterpiece to the church with prayer. Jesus said, he's taught him a parable that men ought always to pray and to faint not. To always pray. Now, I want to destroy some ideas this morning of what prayer is and what, what prayer isn't. Okay? Because some people think that, and, and, and this, is, this is, there's a lot of confusion in the church. And here's why. Have you ever been to a place where something is overemphasized to the point where you feel like that begins to be the only thing in the world? And churches have, each, each church has its own specific function, its own gift. And usually that's represented by the leader who, who runs it. So if you have a pastor that's more evangelistic, you're going to come into that church with a real understanding and you're going to have this nuance, this subliminal message given to you constantly of evangelism, 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 evangelism. Even though he's not saying it, everything's going to be geared towards and moving towards that idea. And if you get indoctrinated into that type of reality, then your prayer life is going to be consumed with saving the lost or saving broken things or saving broken people. That's a part of the gospel, absolutely. But you know, there's more parts to that. But if you go to a church that's more prophetic in nature, you're gonna have a greater understanding of people are gonna be praying more spiritualized issues. They're gonna be praying kingdom out issues. They're gonna be praying kingdom realities. They're gonna be, be praying against demonic principalities and forces and darkness. They're gonna be operating in the spirit realm more so than in the natural realm. And they're gonna be praying from that atmosphere. And, that and those types of prophetic people are, gonna, are, if you get taught how to pray from a prophetic type of person, you're gonna come away with an understanding that you have gotta pray hours or you didn't pray at all. And it's not wrong, but it's not 100% right either. And if you get, if the person who's more in an evangelistic type service goes to get 
taught by somebody who's more prophetic and they're gonna feel like they never pray at all because their prayers are only a few minutes long and these people's prayers are hours long and there's a, there's a clash of differences in the gifts of the body. And so what happens is the body begins to be confused about what prayer is and what prayer isn't because the individual gifts are trying to teach and there's no apostolic authority to be able to say you're both right. But some people are more birthed towards deeper forms of prayer than others. It doesn't mean you shouldn't ever touch those at some point in your life. It just means that you need to understand what prayer is in a balanced reality. Because some people only think that prayers are short things and they never pray long. And they don't see things that they need in their life because they've never learned to pray through. And then other people have such an idea of prayer that if they, don't feel like, they feel like if they don't weep and groan for hours, then God doesn't hear them. And that's just as wrong. Does this make sense to you? So I want you to understand that, that prayer concerning the kingdom reality is you, in the capacity that God's placed you in, is you releasing something that God needs to release into your realm, your atmosphere, your circumstance, your family, your job, your assignment. You are the one that God can use to release his will into that moment. And he cannot move in that moment without you releasing what he wants to do. God is legally bound to not, come, to not come and override our lives. In other words, if he wants something done in the earth, he always has to do it through a man or woman, mankind. He has to. He saved the world by becoming human because you can't, as God, save the world without coming through a human reality. It's impossible. What was done in the flesh has to be completed in the flesh. And Jesus completed the work of the kingdom of God in the flesh because it takes a human being to release what's kingdom reality into the earth. Why do you think the devil wants people so bad? It's not so he can just take them to hell, though that's the ultimate goal. By people, he rules. Through people, he reigns in the earth, the enemy. Through broken people, he runs governments. Through broken people, he deceives people with music and industry and Hollywood. Through people, the devil rules and reigns. The same way it is with God. Same way. God gets his glory through his people. That's how he gets his, his glory. If there were no people... How would God show his glory? Impossible. What good is a general without an army? What good is a king without a kingdom? It takes the people of God to begin to release the will of God. So in your area of life, the reason the devil hits you so hard with sickness and oppression and failure and all these other things in your life is because he does not want you to release what God is putting on your heart into that reality. So what he'd rather you do is be offended, rejected, oppressed, despised, uh, uh, all kinds of things. So that way you're gonna release that. You're gonna release something. You will release something. You're gonna release anger and attitudes and, and opinions and uh, judgments and oppressions or you're gonna release life. You will not get through this world and this life without releasing something from a spiritual realm. It's impossible. I don't care if you believe in God or not, you will release something from a spiritual realm because you're a spiritual being. Even people who are not saved are spiritual beings. You will release something. So the idea is that God wants you to understand his will for your environment. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. He wants you to pray so that what his will is can come 
flow through you to your circumstance and your situation. Not so that you can get it to the way you want it to be, but so that he can have it the way he wants it to be. Am I making sense so far? So I want you to understand that prayer is vital for the operation of a true son. If we don't have prayer in our lives, we create a greater form of confusion that we live under naturally. So, so how many of you guys know that whenever you've had lengths of time without prayer, the, the confusion in your life gets greater and thicker. Like the ability to be able to contact God and feel God and know God, it just gets, it gets heavy. And it's harder for God to slice through the confusion. Why? Because the lack of prayer brings confusion. Why? Prayer, bring, prayer brings order to chaos. Amen. Prayer is the release of the word of the Lord. That's what it is. It's hearing the word of the Lord and it's releasing the word of the Lord. You are the intermediary between two worlds and God wants to release through you his will and his, his nature and his kingdom into the earth. So, so prayer is, 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 is God's release of, the, of his heart through the human, the human voice. And one thing I want you to understand about prayer is that prayers are eternal. They outlive you. Jesus prayed in John 17 for us and we weren't even here yet. Those prayers that Jesus prayed in the earth, they weren't prayed in heaven, they were in the earth, are still bouncing around. They are eternal. And when someone feels the weight and the pressure of conviction in their life, saved or unsaved, it is the prayer of Christ that's crushing and pressing upon them that they may be one as we are one. When you feel conviction from the Holy Spirit, it's the prayers of Jesus Christ crushing down upon your mind and your soul. It's those prayers still being answered to this day. Every time someone repents, every time someone comes back to Jesus, Jesus's prayers in the earth were satisfied through that human being. So when you pray for things, you don't come to the understanding that I have to see it in my lifetime. You don't have to see it in your lifetime. You want to see it in your lifetime. I get that. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. You have to pray in faith, which means once you know you've prayed the will of God into reality and you know you have this essence of God that has come through you in prayer and you've broken through certain things in the spirit realm and you can let that prayer rest in the arms of God, you let time catch up with eternity and you move on. And it doesn't matter what you see. In fact, guys, I'm, from my experience, <laughs> when you pray the will of God through and you know that you have really touched heaven over something, it gets worse before it gets better. Because everything has to be tested. And many times when you know it's finished, it's done, I, I, I prayed through, I've got a will, I've got an answer, I've got a word, I've got a promise. The exact opposite of everything you prayed will start to happen to test whether your prayer is in faith in seeing it or believing what you've heard. And you have to hold on to what you've heard because Jesus says hearing is more important than seeing. We all wanna see. Jesus wants us to hear. He says, my sheep will. 
Jesus says greater, it's a greater blessing for those who have believed and have not. Why? Because it's a greater blessing to the Lord. Within the hearing is the requirement of believing. But we want to see. It doesn't happen that way. Guys, over and over and over and over in my life, and I'm sure it's the same with yours, that what you pray for often takes a different manifestation than what you thought. I remember when I was young, I had a youth group. I was about 18 years old, and this kid came up for prayer. And I asked him what he wanted. It was some generic thing. I don't remember what, I don't even remember what it was. And I'm praying really hard for this thing that he needed in his life. And I'm like, Lord, just, you know, do this thing. And, and all of a sudden I heard this loud, like a snap, like a, I'm like, what? It was, it was audible. I was like, it was a pop. And I was like, what happened? I was like, what was that? It was odd. And I'm, I, I look, my eyes are closed. I'm crying. I'm all in the spirit, you know what I mean? He's just looking at me. He's like, I'm like, well, I'm looking at him I'm like, what? I'm like, what's, what's, what's going on? This guy, he's a young kid, but he's huge. So what's happening? What's going on? Like, he's like, I can hear. I'm like, what do you mean you can hear? He's like, we've talked a lot. I, I don't understand. He goes, no, 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 no. I was deaf in my right ear. Like I, I was a kid and I, I was playing with firecrackers and I threw one and it blew up right by my ear as I read through it and it blew my eardrum out. And I said, he's like, I can hear, I can hear. And he's like all excited. He's like, I can hear. And it, you know, he's just like, and he closes this ear and he's all like, you know, freaking out, you know? And, and, and I, I tested it next week. I come back, I'll say, hey, can you still hear? He goes, yeah, man, I went to bed and a bunch of like blood and pus came out of my ear on my pillow the next morning. And he's like, I have like, I can hear better in this ear than the other one. Right, and here I am praying for what I think the will of the Lord is. And God, imagine this, doesn't even ask me. And he does what he wants. Does what he wants. I wasn't praying for healing, but I was praying for the will of the Lord. And it was the will of the Lord that day without God telling me that this man would get healed of deafness in his ear. Blew me away. I knew it was God. And you know how I knew it was God? Because I didn't pray for it. Sometimes God works in such ways that we don't know what he's doing because if we did, we would pray amiss. And it would be less of a miracle when it happened because we would think we did it. Prayer is simply coming neutral before our Father and bringing forth his glory into the earth. Why do we exist as a people? Why do we exist in the, in the blood of Christ, in the DNA of heaven? Is it so that we can have our family and make our money and pay our taxes and be good citizens? No. You exist for the pleasure and the glory of God, period. And so if you exist for the pleasure and the glory of God, prayer should have its main element under that umbrella that everything you pray would be for the glorification and pleasure of your father, even if it costs you. Does this make sense? All right. So 
So in that sense, our lives are, are, are in, our, in its greatest extent, our lives are a connection to the Lord Jesus Christ and a release of, of the same into the earth. People don't need our religion. They don't need our doctrines. They don't need our denominations. They don't need our opinions. They need Jesus released from you. That's what they need. That's what gives people life. Have you ever noticed that there's, there's, a, there's a reason why there's no prayer of salvation in the Bible? There's not one. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, right? And he'll be saved. That confession is personal. I know we have our little prayer we lead people through, but it's not biblical. Because prayer is an organic connection with the Father. It's a heart crying out to a heart. And when somebody in their heart of hearts cries out to God, they're saying the right words. Doesn't matter what you wanna lead them through. <laughs> when their heart is crying out to God for salvation, when their heart is crying out to God for reality, he hears them. Because prayer is supposed to be private and personal. It's the one part of God, it's the one part of Christianity that you actually get to hold to yourself. The rest of it's communal. The rest of it's horizontal. The gifts, horizontal. 100% horizontal. The mind of Christ, horizontal. Prayer, you and Jesus. You and Jesus. We cannot pray accordingly to the pleasure of God and to his will unless we know his will. So many times when we start to pray, guys, you have to find the will of God before you can pray the will in. If you don't know the will of God, you're praying amiss. Part of the will of God you can understand is by studying scripture because God's will never, never goes outside of that. On places and times and circumstances where the will of God is not as clearly seen because of modern Americanism and it's not stated in scripture thus wise, then you have to seek the will of God. Your prayer starts with praying, what is your will? We find that and then we pray that will into being. If we don't do that, you're praying what you wanna see happen in that life. Whenever the, your prayer might actually be the thing that's setting that person up for more failure. You can't pray, you can't pray for certain things until certain things come to pass, right? When Jesus teaches us to bless our enemies, it's not so that God will bless them. It's so that, that they can get right with God so the blessing can come. People have to get right with God before the blessing comes. So when you're blessing your enemies, what you're doing is you're stacking upon them the goodness and the mercy of God and it begins to press on them to a point where they, have to, they feel something in their spirit, man, that starts to carve out that Adamic nature inside of them. And then when they finally feel the pressure and the yoke and the weight and the bondage of their sin, they cry out for God and all those blessings that have been prayed over them for all those years come crashing in. There's conditions to promises and every, every condition, every, every promise in the Bible, there's a condition to it. They don't just come because they're there. Are you following me? 
So we have to pray the will of the Lord in. You can't pray for, if you're praying for somebody to be released from something that they're willingly and participating in at this point, you're, you're, you're now praying what I call soulish prayers, which is essentially rich witchcraft. Because basically your prayer, what you're, what you're trying to do with your prayers is you're trying to manipulate somebody's will. And God will never do that. Any manipulation of the human will is demonic. Any manipulation of the human will is demonic. I don't care if it's wife to husband, husband to wife, children to parents, parents to children. Manipulation of the human will is demonic. Jesus will never manipulate your will. He'll love you and hopes that you'll change your will, but it has to be you that changes it. Prayer is not praying against somebody else's will. If somebody loves their sin, you cannot pray against their will for that sin. You have to pray that God would have mercy on their life. If you're praying for anything else, it won't come to pass. You have to pray for mercy. You have to pray that the Lord would send laborers across their path. You have to pray that God would draw their heart and lead them to repentance. Those are the prayers you have to pray. But you cannot pray against, Lord, let them stop doing this. And let, it, you can't, that's witchcraft. Because they want to do that. And you're trying to usurp your will over theirs. Lord, let my husband stop doing this. No. You need to learn how to be able to handle life when somebody doesn't operate under the will of God. And if you need somebody else to change in order for you to be a Christian, you need to check your faith. Did you hear what I just said? And that's what we're essentially asking. If my husband would just change, what? Then you'll be a better Christian? No, then, then your Christianity is, con, is conducive or, or revolving around your husband. Not Christ. We don't pray for people's wills to be changed. We pray the love of God has its ability to change the human will. Only he can move in such a way where he doesn't breach his own legality against the will of man. In Job, it says he knows how to bring down the proud. Nobody else does. When's the last time you've ever been able to bring down somebody else's pride? Only God knows how to do that. The pride of man is deeply connected to the will of man. And prayer is, 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 is to release God's will into the earth, not what we want to see happen in people's lives. I spoke on this a couple weeks ago in the reality that most people only pray for their family because they have no revelation of the family of God, which extends beyond their human blood. And they're going to be very shocked when they get to heaven and realize that the blood that they prayed for may not have been the blood of Christ. And they bailed on their family and he uh, their, their heavenly family on the earth in order to be able to be linked to the blood family that's no longer present. I can't force that on anybody, but I'm telling you this, Jesus solved the debate on what family is. Jesus solved the debate on what family really is. And sadly, the Church of America has not learned that lesson. I have watched painfully over the years where people have abandoned spiritual family to go chase after blood family that's not right with God 
And God would never do that. The only time God abandons his family to go get somebody is if he knows that somebody wants to be found. It says he came to seek and save that which was lost. You have to have a revelation of your lostness before he's going to come seek you. If you don't, he'll leave you to your sin. If this, if this idea that him, he's leaving the 99 to catch the one applies to everybody, then why didn't he chase after the rich young ruler? Hmm? Why, didn't he leave, why didn't he leave the 12 disciples right then and there and go chase after that man until he came back home? Because God respects the human will. Well, in winging it, I ended up hitting my notes anyway, so <laughs> thank you, Jesus. So I, I want you to, I want you to um, look at a couple things that when you find the will of God for your life, you're going to find the ability of prayer to be easy. Now, it may be a, a groaning, but it will be easy, if, if that makes any sense. Because we need to understand when we need to pray through and when we need to not pray through. Because the Bible seems to be almost unclear about how long we should pray. Because some, in some senses, Jesus gives us the idea that you keep praying until it happens. And then other times, he, sa he basically says, you ask it, it'll be done. Both are true. But you and I need the wisdom to know which one's which in which circumstance. Because there's some times where you have to keep praying. And then there's some times when you finally break through, you you're done praying. And you have to know when. And then there's some times where you know where you need to like not pray at all. Yeah. I've had people come up to me and ask me, you know, pray whether I should divorce my husband or not. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. Pray for me to have clarity. Nope. I've never had clarity. You have to have faith. God doesn't give clarity. He's never going to say, this is all how it's supposed to be and show you the beginning, middle, end and all the little nuances in between. So you're like, oh, I can, rela I can, I can relax and let go of myself, my, my manipulation and control now. No, he's going to expect you to trust him. I won't pray for people to have clarity because it's a prayer God won't answer. I won't pray for somebody to leave their, their spouse. I won't pray for certain things. There's certain things that, some, you know, pray for me with this. No, or pray for something that's already written in the word. You know, pray that I would hear God on this issue. It's already written in the word of God. I'm not gonna pray. Go read your Bible. Go read your Bible and hear the word of the Lord. I won't pray for things like that. I, I was ministering a long time ago to a couple who had really bad marriage problems. Oh my gosh, I won't even go into it. I can't go into it. It's not even publicly able to be spoken about, so it was so, so horrible. But I, 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 had, I, had, I had worked with them for years. And I really felt it was time for them to begin to, to come together as a, as, a, as, a, as a husband and a wife and heal. And they had another spat, whatever, and they call me, and, and, and I'm like, you know, they're like, you need to pray, come pray for us. I, so I show up there, and they're like, hey, pray for us on this. And I was like, you know what? I said, guys, I'm not going to pray for you today. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to go home and you put some music on. You need to get down and kneel, kneel down 
on your, on your knees, hold each other's hands, and you need to seek God for your marriage. You need to go home and seek God for your marriage. You need to cry out for mercy to God. And I feel like he's gonna meet and move you, moving you. You know what they did? They went, didn't, they went home and didn't do that until later. And then he got so mad at me and they called me. She called me, almost cussing me out. Talking about how I offended her husband and wounded her husband because I wouldn't pray for them. And I was dumbfounded. And I said, I thought my job was to get you to turn to Jesus, not be your idol. My job is not to be your crutch. My job is to point you to the master. And if you don't want to go there, you can blame me all you want. And they did. But I want you to see the power of praying the will of God, being right with him. You guys heard the story. We can, you can turn there if you want, if we can read it together if you want. First Kings chapter 18, verse 36. I'm not gonna read the whole story. This is um, the story where Elijah challenges the priests of Jezebel, of Baal. And we have two different ideas of prayer being seen in the chapter. One is carnal and fleshly, and we see that to the priests, to their God, Baal. However, I see a lot of times human beings doing that same type of praying where they're cutting themselves and agonizing. And I mean, I'm not saying we cut ourselves as Christians, but it's the same principle idea. We're agonizing over something and we're trying to make something come to pass by feeling something a certain way and and pushing in and pressing in and oh God, and, and we're trying to make something happen. And we're jumping around on the altar and we're trying to pray something in. And there's too much energy and too much sweat and too much Adamic nature involved in the whole thing. And so we see that here in verse 36, as it said, in the time of the offering, well, let me, let me just tell you before that. Before this, the priests of, the, of, of Baal began to, hours, for hours, like almost all day long, they're cutting themselves, they're wailing, they're weeping, they're crying. We think that because we cry and pray and pray that God hears us. No. <laughs> uh, such a bad thing to think. Because then you're gonna develop mentality that if I haven't cried and weeped in prayer, then God didn't hear me. No, God hears you. You remember when Jesus was stood before the tomb of Lazarus and he prayed the simple prayer and he said, he started out by saying, God, I thank you that you hear me. There was no weeping and wailing and crying going on in the sense of, of trying to get God to hear him. Jesus wept because of their unbelief. But the thing is, is that there's, there was this, this idea that if we push and push and push and push and push, that God's gonna hear us. And then their, their God did not hear them. And so in verse 36, at the time of offering of oblation, the Elijah the prophet came near and said, oh Lord God, this, listen how long it took him to pray this prayer. Oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known to you this day, let me know this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Sounds pretty arrogant already. Answer, oh Lord, me that these people might know that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. That's how long it took to pray that prayer. What happened? Fire came down from heaven. 
and consumed the sacrifice and the water. And everybody began to say, the Lord, he is God. Was it the external prayer and its length and what it was said that caused this to happen? Or was it a private relationship that Elijah had built in the secret place that when he finally came to open public prayer, God manifested in a way that he couldn't through anybody else? Here's, here's what I say. Here's what I want to tell you. In your secret place between you and Jesus, pray long and deep. In the public place, pray quickly out of the well you've created in the private. We don't have to pray through problems long. We don't have to pray long prayers through problems. We pray long prayers in intimacy. Does that make sense? We stay before God in his presence and intimacy in lengths of time. Maybe it's 10 minutes for you and that's a long time. Maybe it's a half an hour and that's a long time. That's fine. Start where you're at. There's no pressure or condemnation to that type of thing. Build your endurance up before the Lord. But God doesn't need us agonizing over situations and problems that he's already actually given the solution to. Many people, what they, they, they feel like they have to agonize over things because they haven't seen the victory God's already given. Now, I'm not saying there won't be times where you have to pray things through. But overall, the idea, the mental idea that you have to manipulate prayer to be some sort of work is wrong. Are you, are you, is this helping you? How about the prayer? How about this prayer? Changed everything. How long was this prayer? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Did that prayer change everything? It's still bouncing over your life. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In Jesus' most weak defenseless, weak, just the most, the most torn part of his life. A very simple prayer had eternal weight. See, the public prayers you pray should come out of the private depth that you create in God. If you see somebody who prays short but powerfully, and the spirit begins to move when they pray in a public sense. You know what you're getting into? You're getting a window into the richness of intimacy they had developed that nobody else can see. How about Exodus 33, 18, where, where Moses says, show me your glory. And then God passes before him. about Hezekiah's prayer when he's praying when Sennacherib is gonna come in and sack Israel. The prayer he prays there is probably less than 10 seconds long. He prays a 10 second long prayer. They go to bed that night and they wake up and all of the Assyrian army is completely dead. Because they believed 
they knew the nature of their father and they realized that prayer is not an effort of human work. Jesus even says, don't keep repeating something over and over and over again thinking you'll be heard. Don't pray like they do. Your father already knows what you need before you ask. Therefore, you can go with confidence knowing that what you ask will be provided. It just may not look like what you thought, but it will be provided. Lord, give me strength. You know how he answers that prayer so many times? By putting you into battle. Lord, help me love my husband. You know how he answers that prayer sometimes? By making your husband unlovable. It's true. Because if he were lovable, it'd be easy for you to love him. Jesus tells us to love your enemies. In other words, he gives you the most impossible thing to love so that you can find where your love ends. If you don't find where your love ends, you'll never know where the prayer begins. Because it takes prayer to ask God for the things that you don't have worked inside of you yet. And you've got to come to the end of that limit. So many times we're praying for certain things and I'm like, why is it getting so hard? Because of the prayers you're praying. How about this one? Lord, make me like Jesus. Have you ever prayed that one? And then people come to me like, I don't understand why it's so hard. It's because, well, have you ever prayed that Lord, that God would make you like his son? Well, yeah, well, that's why your life's hard. Because Jesus' life was hard. Go be like somebody else if you don't want to be like Jesus. If you don't want to go through hard things, be like somebody else. But if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to go through hard things. He even promises it. He promises it. He does not promise blessing and prosperity. He does not promise that. If it comes, praise God. But that's not what he promises. He said, you will have tribulation, you will have trial. However, be happy because I've overcome everything you're gonna go through. I've overcome your unloving husband. I've overcome your controlling wife. I've overcome it all. I've overcome it all. And if you can't see the overcoming, you're gonna pray the problem. You don't need to pray the problem. You need to pray the solution Jesus has already given. There's a solution for everything you're in. You have to find that. You pray that. This is why I tell couples all the time, if you're having problems with each other, don't sit there and talk about where each other are wrong. Speak over the person what you see God has done. Release life. Telling them where they're wrong is not going to fix them. If you haven't figured that out already, you might want to learn something in life. Telling people what, they're, what they do wrong doesn't fix them. Yeah, it's our go-to solution, isn't it? Like we act like we're God. See, when God tells us what's wrong in our life, we repent. When you and I do it, we usually don't. So pray, pray the solution that God has given you. And if you don't have one, you need to get on your face. If you have a problem with your spouse, I ask people all the time, how many hours have you spent on your face for your spouse? Because in those hours on your face before your, before your spouse, before God for your spouse, you're gonna find a solution. You're gonna find a promise. God's gonna speak to you and say, this is how he is. This is how I see him. This is what, he, this is what I've planned for him to be. 
This is what I know him to be. This is what I've created him. And when you see what God's created in him, and then you see, and then God tells you, hey, all the stuff you're seeing is the stuff that's coming against him. It's the stuff that is coming from his childhood. It's the stuff that comes from his pain, his wounds, and his, his fears, and his rejection. It's not who he is. It's what he's suffering with. And you're antagonizing the suffering. You're poking the wound. And then when you pray like that and you get up, or vice versa for the husbands, for the wives, it's the same thing. It's a two-way street. It works both ways. And then when you get up from prayer like that, you realize, man, I have really been, I've been helping the devil destroy my, my spouse. I've been helping hell. Antagonism is a perverted sort of demonic praying. It's the release of something into somebody else's life that God never intended to be released. Does this make sense? With life and death, Most, most people pray, but what they really call prayer is just complaining to God. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that if that's where you're at. But for all that's holy, don't stay there. <laughs> because if that's where you stay, depression will be your fruit. It'll be your food. It'll be your sustenance. So short prayers prayed from a stance with God that is right and holy even if you fail, you get back up and return to your father. We don't run from him. We come back to him in prayer. We come back to him and we develop that well of, of, of life inside of us so that when it's time for somebody, somebody asks us to pray, we have a resource to give. Rivers of living water, right? Because we have been connected to the father and we're praying a solution. We're praying Jesus. We're seeing him. We're relate, relating with him. We're loving on him. And then when the need comes, wisdom comes. The will comes. God gives us a word for that person. We pray into that reality and it changes their life. Now, let me give you some, we're gonna close here because it's getting, let me give you some tips on how to do certain things here for some of you. Some, most of you know this, but it's good to remind yourself. And if you don't know it, I hope it, it works in your life. But I want you to understand that prayer is a chosen form of discipline. And when you pray, prayer creates more discipline. It's a self-control. When you choose to pray, you're choosing self-control to walk away from the situation and seek God because everything inside of you wants to do the opposite. You seek God, but yet ironically in that same prayer, you're getting more self-control, but it takes self-control to get there. So you're, call, you're pulling upon the Holy Spirit you already have in the power and the fruit of self-control to bring you to the presence of the Father. And when you get there, you get more self-control, which you need when things are going bad. How many of you guys know that when you're out of control, all you can create is chaos? Anybody not figured that out yet? It's the same for all of us. The lack of self-control always produces chaos. Most arguments come from one or both parties not exercising the fruit of the Holy Spirit and self-control. All right, so how do you pray always? It's real simple. And when you realize your mind is going crazy and thinking about certain things, you begin to, when, when the moment you recognize that that's happening, that's your moment of accountability. You're not accountable when you're out there lost in your own head. And all of a sudden, but all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait a minute, I, I'm, out, I'm way out there right now, right? That's your moment where God's holding you accountable. Now, if you choose to go beyond that and go back into your pain or rejection or whatever it might be you're, you're, you're caught in, then you're administering your own 
dosage of chaos to yourself. The moment you start realizing your mind is off, that's your moment of accountability. So what do you do? You turn your thoughts to prayers. You start talking to God about what you're thinking about instead of just thinking about it. Whether it's an offense, a dream, a hope, a passion, you start talking to God because even your dreams and passions that are positive need God behind them. Make sense? We, have, we feel like we have to pray all the problems and all the sin and all the issues and all that. No, you have to pray about things that are, that are good and holy and right too. Just because you think it's good and holy and right doesn't mean God, you shouldn't touch that in prayer. Are you, are you understanding me? So you turn your thoughts to prayers. When you realize that your mind's out there somewhere and you realize you're off in, in, in no man's land, you stop and you turn your thoughts to prayers. You bring Jesus into it. And then you learn how to listen. In the beginning, many times God will begin to, to teach you how he speaks to you by just re reminding you of a Bible verse. So after you turn your thoughts to prayers, then take a moment to stop and listen and see if a, a verse comes to mind or something like that or a promise or whatever. And that's him speaking to you. So immediately you've taken yourself out of that toxic reality that you were in, whether it's good or bad, because good is just as toxic as bad in the, in the flesh. Jesus didn't come to save us from our, all of our bad. He came to save us from ourselves, good and bad. Okay? You, once you realize, then just by turning to God, you've, you've, you've pulled out of that toxic reality, and now you can turn your problems to praise. Because hopefully next time I speak, we'll talk about, about nine different forms of prayer, and praise is one of them. Praise is actually a form of prayer. So is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a form of prayer. So once you gathered your thoughts back, then you turn your problems to praise. How do you do that? By finding something to be thankful for in it. I thank you that this is working the image of Christ inside of me, even though I can't see it. I thank you that you're gonna do a work in their life because they are your son and they are your daughter. I thank you, Father, for the wisdom that you've given me to deal with this boss. And I thank you for the opportunity for such a great battle to fight. Why? Because it's going to make me more like Jesus and you're giving me levels of authority to walk in. And as I complete one and then the other and the other, I get closer and closer to becoming what you want me to be for this, for this nation, this land. I thank you, God, for all these difficulties that I have to go through. I thank you for, you turn your problems into praise. And pretty soon, now you've got two segments of prayer you're operating in through a difficulty and you're so far away from the difficulty now that now you're in the presence of your father. You turn your offense into supplication. I mean, when's the last time that you've been offended you started praying for that person that offended you immediately? No, we like, we like to suck on self-pity. We wanna prove them wrong. You know what offense is? Whether the person's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Whether they're godly or whether they're not, offense is somebody touching and putting a fingerprint on the idol of you. And you're mad about it. Because if you were truly as holy as you think you were, it wouldn't have bothered you. Because Jesus never got offended. And you want them to come back and polish your idol. Let me say it this way. God will not let them. In fact, most offense is an opportunity that God gave you where you failed. 
because God wanted you to see the weakness in that person so that you can pray for them. They don't need your justification, my justification. They need our prayer. So when someone offends you, you turn the offense into supplication, to petitioning God for their soul. How long are you going to stay offended when you're supplicating to God for their behalf? You can't. You understand why prayer is part of spiritual warfare now? You turn your questions into conversations with your father. You turn your questions into conversations. All these things happen in your mind, right? This is part of mind renewal. Prayer is part of mind renewal. You turn your disappointments into worship. When you, when you view it this way, it, it seems possible to pray always and to faint not. Because the idea of prayer is not like you being in your closet 24 hours a day. No, it's in your mind and in your heart, you're constantly turning everything that comes to you toward the Lord in conversation, in power, in worship. You're letting everything that comes to you, you're purifying it and returning it back to him, holy and pure. You turn monotony into focused prayer. Anybody have jobs that can be fairly monotonous at times? Guys, I know this is gonna be really hard for you. Your nothing box was given to you by God. However, you need to learn to not let that be the essence of everything you are. Because if you get too deep into your nothing box, you, you cease to pray. Every man, know what I'm talking about? All the men? Like all of a sudden you're gone. and, you're, and then, Women, I'm telling you, it's possible for us to think about nothing. I know you don't believe it, but it is possible. So when your man says, what do you think about? He says nothing. He's probably being honest. And you women are like, that's not possible. It's, like, yeah, it's possible. Right? We do it all the time. It's how we bear such difficult loads most of the time. If, if God didn't give that to men, they would be so stressed out, they'd probably die of heart attacks by the time they were 20. They have that ability to, yeah, I can't think about that right now. So I'm not going to. So take your nothing box, man, and turn it into focused prayer. You focus on God and you focus on praying for whatever you feel like is on God's heart. And you turn that place of nothingness into interaction with your father. Women, focused prayer would be more of mind control of getting out of your thoughts. And when you're, when you're in your monotony and you're, you, know, you, you begin to focus in on God. Both are just as difficult. It's hard for a man to get out of nothing and it's hard to women to get out of something. But It's possible. It's a development that we do. We pray because we're in constant need of, of communion with our Father. So I want you to understand that sons have the ability to transform earthly things into eternal realities by prayer alone. You can take a monotonous job and through prayer, turn it into an eternal reality where you get a reward for it. Whereas if you didn't pray, you're just working a job. You can turn offense against you into an eternal reward. Does that make sense? This is why I say that offense is usually an opportunity that God's given you that you failed in. Because when someone offends you, that's your opportunity to turn that into a crown. To actually take what was meant for evil against you, turn it to good, and then you have something to offer Jesus for it. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? We do it by prayer. We, we begin to pray for those people who are persecuting us. 
Isn't that what Jesus taught us to do? Pray for those who persecute you and say manner all, of all evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Why? Why? Because, you know, so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Great is your reward in heaven, he says. You can rejoice in the fact that, wow, man, I am literally being treated like the forefathers. Why is that important? Because I promise you, I promise you this, everybody in this room thinks that those people who went before us are greater than us. But Jesus is saying, no, when you're persecuted and you love them, you're equal to them. You have the same reward as they do because you're being treated the same way. That means in that moment when you're responding like Christ in the middle of a difficulty, a response to prayer and blessing and you're praying for those who are hurting you and, and you have the same reward as Abraham and Moses and Daniel and Joshua and all of them. Great is your reward in heaven. Isn't that what Jesus says? Do you think Jesus undermines the word great or do you think he knows what the word means? What happens when God says great? Do you think God's great is bigger than man's great? You think God's definition of what great is is bigger than yours? So when Jesus says great is your reward in heaven, what does he mean? Something you can't even comprehend. When you're persecuted, when you're offended, when somebody offends you, somebody hurts you and wounds you, and you respond like Christ, a true son of God through prayer has the ability to transform earthly things that were meant to evil into spiritual realities that last forever, that are a praise and a glory unto God. Prayer transforms and changes us. I'll end with that. I want you to understand that many times if you go into an idea that I'm gonna go pray so that this and this and this and this can change, you're gonna be disappointed. Prayer will change you before it changes the reality you're praying for. Once it changes you, in all actuality, when you're finally changed, you don't even care if the situation changes anymore or not because you're at peace. It's amazing how many Christians live Christian life without peace. And they pray through chaos. They pray through their own chaos. They pray through their own, somebody else's chaos. But all their prayers predicated on chaos. Jesus' prayers were predicated on peace. He said the sons of God would be what? Peace makers. Not chaos fixers. When you make peace... Chaos automatically stops. You understand what I'm saying? It's a lot like the perverted deliverance ministry. I believe in deliverance. I do. I want to say that offhand. I believe in deliverance. But, but it's like if you focus on the demon, that's all you're getting. But if you focus on Jesus and the Holy Spirit and somebody gets that, he does a really good job. Light does a really good job of casting out darkness. <laughs> So you, you don't have to sit there and name every devil. You just name the name of Jesus and every devil has to leave. It's the same thing with prayer. It's the same thing with prayer. If you're focusing on the negative, you're focusing on the chaos, you're focusing on, then that's what you're gonna get. In fact, many times the demons get empowered by you just you know, focusing on, on them. They, they breathe the energy from you. Trust me, I fought some really big battles where I fought them wrong and I was out there, ah, ah, and the devil got stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm like, what is going on? 
And it wasn't until I found the solution and began to rest in God's solution for the problem that everything began to, because the, the devil wasn't deriving power from my energy. I began to just focus it all on my father. And then he began to move. So prayer is, is the ability to release God. It's the ability to focus on the solution of what God has intended for the situation and to rest in that, to call that into being. And almost all the time, guys, almost all the time, ignoring what's going on. So women, be patient if your husbands actually come into this reality because you're gonna feel like at some point that they don't care about what's going on when they might actually be ignoring it so they can focus on the king. Don't accuse them of not being, you know, concerned about it. Sometimes you have to ignore the enemy to be able to focus on God. Are you with me? Is this helping? Okay, please stand with me. I I hope um, as we finish up this series on prayer and the Ephesians series, guys, I really hope it's helping you in your life. I hope you, I hope you're taking this into practice because if you're just hearing it and rejoicing in it and then going out and not doing it, God will give you grace for a season to 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 embody that. But over time, what will happen is He's going to require you of what you've heard. That's why I said last time I preached, coming to church is dangerous. It really is. Now, now going to generic church where somebody doesn't really care and they're not preaching the truth, that's not dangerous. But when you're going to it, and there's lots of good churches out here. I'm not saying we're the only, we're not. There's lots of good churches. But going to a good church with a good pastor who loves you, it's dangerous. Because every time you hear something, God requires it of your life. The Bible says you, 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 it would be better for you if you didn't know than to have known and not obeyed. So every time you come to church, you're, you're putting a, a requirement upon yourself, which should cause you to want to pray more. Why? Because it takes God to fulfill those requirements in us. We're not strong enough to do them. I'm not strong enough to do them. I, I figured that out. I don't know where you're at, but I know I am not strong enough to do what God's asking me to do. It takes surrender in my life and the Holy Spirit doing it through me. I figured that part out. If he doesn't do it through me, it ain't getting done. Nevertheless, the life I live, I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? It's Christ in me. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done, that it is more sure than any problem we will ever encounter. That you hear us, you're for us, but you're working in and on us. We pray, Father, that your grace and your mercy would be rich in our life. We pray according to what Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, that we would know the love of God. Because when the love of God comes, everything else that is opposite to love has to leave. We pray for the love of God in our, in our finances, in our marriages, in our minds, in our hearts, that we would be consumed with the love of God. Because within the love of God is everything that you are. We thank you for the solution. Father, we thank you for the ability that you are gonna do in us to hear. That you will create in your people the ability to hear the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that hearing to increase. We thank you, Father, for the seeing to increase after we've heard that we witness how you work in our life. 
We pray, Father, that every time we uh, have our thoughts wander or every time we have these things move in and around us, that we would bring ourselves back to you, that you would, in strength and in Holy Spirit power, be the part of, uh, of Christianity that we need you to be. We acknowledge our weakness, but Father, we acknowledge you as strength and that when we're weak, you are strong. Help us in these things. Grant us the ability to begin to move the way you intend. Help us know the will of God for every situation so that we can pray effectively. Help us not undermine short prayers through unbelief. Help us not falsely trust long praying because of human energy. Let us find the work of Christ in our life as we pray. And Father, change us so that we might be more like you. But give us grace to operate in those things when they come because we know that it's not as easy as we think. But we are of peace and of sound mind because you have overcome the world. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.